one of the reasons why we could do so many books is because the first book sold so well. And you hear things about, and I'm not saying Wiley, but Wiley, random, any publisher, people will say, look, they're not going to support you at all. And that's not necessarily the case is they will support the ones who are doing the work and that are getting traction. And it's really like the same as the music industry. You put it a bunch into products or angel investing or VC, which is you back 100 projects and one pays for all of them. It's the same in publishing and it's the same in music and, and album sales. And when it comes to that, they notice the work you put in because a lot of times you do the book proposal. And, and I always always told the book proposal, the marketing section of it is more important than the concept of the book when it comes to picking it. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. In case you haven't heard, I have a new book coming out called Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career. Is it any good? I think so, but don't take my word for it. Listen to Dan Pink, who said betting on you is indispensable reading for anyone seeking to improve their professional selves and attain that elusive work-life balance. Dan Pink, everybody, not too shabby. Have I told you lately how much I love that guy? You should buy all of his books like Drive, When, To Sell Is Human. That guy's pretty smart. I have to say that the journey of writing a book has been pretty much straightforward and also super surprising. I signed my literary agent a couple days before I went in the hospital and had my gallbladder taken out. I was in so much pain that we went to lunch, but I couldn't eat. Then, the day before, I was supposed to fly out to New York City and meet with the world's five largest publishers. My ex-stepfather killed himself. He shot himself in the head after a prolonged illness, and my sister and brother were absolutely devastated. I sign the book contract with Macmillan, their imprint Henry Holt, and then I have to go back in for another surgery because I have out-of-control uterine polyps that won't stop bleeding. With all of this, the chaos in my family, my body not feeling great, I write the manuscript and I'm about to finish the final draft and my younger brother is diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. Then I'm about to turn in the final manuscript, like the final, final manuscript. I'm in the red zone or whatever sports analogy you want to use. I'm like right there at the one yard line. And my editor, the woman at Henry Holt who bought my book and wrote me that big check, calls me up and says, listen, I've read your book several times cover to cover, and it's so meaningful. It's going to change the world. And in fact, I'm such a believer that I put myself first and prioritize my career. And I'm taking an offer to go to another company that's going to pay me more and give me a promotion and really help me achieve my big career dreams in the publishing industry. And I'm like, what? You're leaving me? Is that even allowed? Oh, it's allowed. (laughs) But thankfully, I have a new editor who is extremely talented and very compassionate, has really been a partner with me on this journey to get the book published. And I'm telling you, it is a journey. The easiest part is writing a book. The business of publishing is so complex and there are a lot of different interests, whether it's the book cover or the title or the audiobook or the way the book is shipped and distributed. I mean, there's a lot going on and that's just like the legit surface level stuff. Then there's like this whole secondary CD market on how to amplify your book, how to market it, how to get it into the hands of people, even if those people don't exist. So that's what I'm talking about today on the podcast with my dear friend and Hall of Fame keynote speaker, author, marketing genius, founder of the unmarketing movement, Scott Stratton. 
Scott has been where I am now at the beginning of a book launch that is a beginning and yet took years to get here. So today's show is all about me getting some good old-fashioned mentoring from Scott Stratton, and I know you're going to learn something too. So if you're interested in two cynical Gen Xers who are really tired but want to change the world, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Scott Stratton. Hey, Scott, welcome to the podcast. It's just so awesome to be on here with you. Love it. Can't wait. I'm already excited and we haven't started, but we have started. So let's do this. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm in this weird position where I'm about to sell people a book during a pandemic. Go. <laughs> like, do you feel sorry for me? Like on a scale of one to 10? Like, what? Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about that. Publishing a book during the normal times, the old days, as we you know would refer to them, is a train wreck on its own. And we've done six books. So five with uh, Wiley and Sons with a traditional publisher and one with a page two publishing, which is known as a hybrid publisher, which is pretty much you cover the costs, but then you keep the majority of the royalties versus the traditional, which is you know flipped kind of 90, 10 the other way. And no matter what, all six books, something has gone catastrophically wrong on the distribution, the sales, everything else. And I'm also, we need to have this out in the air right now. I'm very, so fortunate, so lucky, and so blessed that since we are part of a duo, myself and Allison, that she's the partner at Unmarketing, also my wife, which is the greatest thing on earth for me, but she's a writer. So she writes the books. And since I'm a marketer, I market the books. So I take over once the book is done writing. But what you learn, I'm sure you know this, and anybody listening right now who's ever done it, is like you finish writing it and you know you're done writing a book when you hate it. <laughs> well right? said, yes. Right? When, you, when you finally cannot stand it, it's the worst thing you've ever written. That's when you know you've written your best work. But then I always say, now the next tragedy is about to start, which is a few things, which is no matter if supply chain, or shelf space, virtual reviews, all those type of things, distribution, is that you're about to feel the pain of trying to sell one book. Because I used to kind of furrow my brow when people would be like, hey, my book's a bestseller or this one. And I'm like, well, it's an Amazon bestseller in this category in this day. And I was being that guy. And I realized, you know what? It's really hard. It is really hard to sell one copy of a book to one person. Well, you and I have a mutual friend, Peter Knox, who told me the only thing that sells a book is hard work. Yes, And that is like drilled into my head. So whether it's one copy or 50 copies, I am hustling my ass off. And I think one of the underappreciated aspects of selling a book is that it's really based on a favor economy. Like you ask people to do you a favor, come on my podcast, talk about my book. Let me come on your podcast, shill my shit for me, right? And one of the things that I hate as an entrepreneur is asking for favors. I believe Uh, in self-leadership, right? Me too, me too. Talk to me about this favor economy because that's where my heart is being broken. That's the, honestly, that's the hardest part for me as well, where... First of all, I need to address Peter Knox. Mr. Knox is one of the finest humans we know. And if you know anything about publishing, that's not usually the breeding ground for the finest people you know. Publishing and the music industry share the same traits, which is taking advantage of creatives and artistic-minded people (laughs) you know, for great sums of money going one way and not the other necessarily. And Peter Knox, we are so just randomly lucky that when we got with Wiley, our entire crew, Shannon Vargo, Peter Knox, Matt Holt, the team that we had there, they were just all-stars. And it was... And now I also have to add this as a caveat because I think people need the whole story or whatever we choose to give them. One of the reasons why we could do so many books is because the first book sold so well. And you hear things about... And I'm not saying Wiley, but Wiley, random, any publisher, people will say, look, they're not going to support you at all. And that's 
not necessarily the case is they will support the ones who are doing the work and that are getting traction. And it's really like the same as the music industry. You put it a bunch into products or angel investing or VC, which is you back 100 projects and one pays for all of them. It's the same in publishing and it's the same in music and, and album sales. And when it comes to that, they notice the work you put in because a lot of times you do the book proposal. And, and I always always told the book proposal, the marketing section of it is more important than the concept of the book when it comes to picking it. <laughs> I think that's right. If yeah. you promise a publisher, look, I have this many things and I estimate I'm going to sell these many books, they're on the hook if you don't sell any of them. Yeah. Right? yeah. And they put the money behind it. So we have the support. We have the support because we did a 30 city, 10 week unbook tour for the first book. We did all these type of things where it says, I'm in it to win it here. I'm going to do the work. And since my biggest asset on my skill set is speaking, that I could go out and do talks. And I did the 30 city unbook tour was 30 talks in cities with a pre-order of books. So I wasn't making money on the books, but the publisher was getting the pre-orders and all that happened. So when it comes to favors, which is a great topic because this also sits really wrong with me so much. It's actually the reason why none of our books, all six, not one has a testimonial on. Oh, that's interesting. All right, tell me more. So the books, the three of them that have a back cover that would put testimonials on it are pretend testimonials and they're transparently pretend. So <laughs> right. QR Codes Kill Kittens has five testimonials from brands that are in the book, but we changed their name of the brand because we ripped on them in the book. Unmarketing was fake testimonials. Like one was like, I have it right behind me. One of them was like, Scott joined my author success program. And part of it means he gets a testimonial from me. And this is it, period. The next one was I was at a party with them and I, I was drunk and I agreed to do one. This is my testimony. Like those type of things. Was, <laughs> right, right. And then one was Scott paid for this testimonial. And like, so we were exposing the industry. For sure. For because sure. Because the, the book testimonial part of the industry is so rampant with ridiculousness. Well, wait, I want to tell you, I emailed Dan Pink and I said, hey, can you do a testimonial for me? And he wrote back, he's like, I'm busy. Then he writes back like literally five minutes later, ah, never mind. I'll do it for you. Just, <laughs> just send me some talking points. And so I did. I sent him a copy of the book and some talking points and it came back. And then one of my readers who hates me emailed Dan Pink and said, I'm canceling you because you endorse Lori's book. And now it's like, this poor guy is never going to endorse any other book ever again because I screwed it up for him. And all he was trying to do is a favor, right? So I feel like I owe Dan Pink a kidney now for that kind of hassle. <laughs> one of the reasons though, Lori, is one of the reasons why I also, you're one of my favorite humans when it comes to everything in business and writing. And I, but you know, I, I've already... I think told you my fandom in the past and I've, I've been following your writing for so long and I can see you're slightly embarrassed right now. So I'm going to continue doing this. But one of the things with that is you are like myself and Allison as well in the I think in the same lines of this. And somebody told me this line once where it was in Vegas and I had gone to a Cirque show like I've done dozens of times because I, I love them. And I had, was talking to a friend who was director of marketing for one of the properties that had a Cirque show. And I told I said, Hey, I went to the show and it's like, why didn't you tell me? I would have got you tickets. And I'm like, I'm not friends with you to get things from you. For sure. And he said, that's the problem. He says, the people who should ask don't. And the people who shouldn't ask always do. And so I realized that that was an important point where if I can help a friend, I do it without hesitation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I would do it without hesitation. But when we talked on Twitter and we talked this, like, you want me on your show, I come on your show. It doesn't matter because that's what friends do. That's what connections do where you're like, you know what? Yeah, I would, whatever. But 
I still have the problem with asking. So that's also one of the reasons we don't have the test. I don't want to ask. I don't want to beg. I don't want to interrupt my friends. I, I also don't want them to think I am so hypersensitive to that. I don't want them to think that we're friends because I also want your testimonial yeah. or any of those type yeah. of things. So I'm so hesitant to do it. But I found that the better way to do that was posting something on more of a closed... If my LinkedIn was small or something like that saying, Hey, does anybody want to be able to be part of... But the problem with testimonials and favors is you're going... It's targeted. You know, it's like certain individuals. I don't want everybody to give me testimony. I, I want these names because it's proven on books. You have the the brand name or the individual name that carries weight with it. It shouldn't carry as much weight when people realize how a lot of testimonials are written, which is not reading the book or yeah, the author yeah. writes it themselves. But I I have a thing where when people do approach me, I rarely do it. I save it for friends. Hmm. But I also save it for... I only have so much and I give my same answer now. And it's true, which is I have nine books right now from friends I haven't read that I'm supposed to give testimonials for. And I won't give a testimonial unless I've at least gone through the book. And I love writing them because I love writing hooks. You know, uh, that's why I worked so well on Twitter back in the days because I, I can do 140 characters. I can do a couple sentences. No problem. You want me to write a book? Ain't going to happen. But I can do the real pithy type of stuff and hook it into the title and everything. But I really, really think that when I see somebody that I could have helped with, that's a friend of mine, and I wish I could have helped them like that, that actually kind of, it hurts a bit that I could have done something for them and they didn't ask where I think when you build those relationships with the people you know, you've built them with and you trust when you do ask them something, they actually appreciate being asked because I do. And so I'm trying to get better at that, Lord, but I'm, I'm the same as you. I can't. I rather go to people, even when all this shut down, even when COVID shut down. So my entire industry, my entire revenue base, our family's entire revenue is based on keynotes at large indoor events. And so you're looking at revenue ain't going to happen for a very long time. But I didn't want to pitch people virtual or anything. So what I did was I reached out to my favorite events, my people who I've become friends with, the people who run them. And I said, how can I help at no charge? That took away the pitch. Yeah, yeah. And I started helping because I wanted to help. I love these. There's so little I can do for those clients when I was only doing keynotes because I, that's it. I don't get asked back much. Now, some would say it's because I give the keynote and they want to change it next year. Some would say I would say something off-putting and they don't want to bring me back or whatever that is, that reason is. There wasn't much else I could offer anyway. And I didn't want to. That was on purpose. My goal was just to do keynotes. But now I can help. I just spoke to somebody right before we hopped on here where I'm going to hop on and help a couple of their executives with their virtual talk for their big virtual event they have coming up that they're nervous about. I'm like, I'm happy to help. I'm happy right now. Sure. Yeah. That's right up your alley. And that fills my cup. You know what? That feel because I'm not getting that part of the cup filling right now where the doing the event and the nodding heads and the smiles and the laughs. So I got to find other ways to do that. I like that you're talking about being of service because I think that's what got me here, right? To the point where I wanted to write a book and I wanted to be helpful. And okay, there's capitalism. I got to pay my bills, right? All that kind of good stuff. But ultimately, nothing would make me happier than for someone to go into a library and just borrow my book, right? I love that idea. But the publisher hates that idea, right? There are all these sketchy ways for me to get my books into the hands of readers. And you and I have gone back and forth because we're both immersed in this world. But do you want to talk about some of the sketchy ways books are sold? Or do you want to just respond? Yeah, let's get sketch. No, let's go sketch. Yeah, I'm all in on the sketch. So there's a bunch of different ways that there's different ways that the sketchiness comes into publishing. And, And a lot of it has to do with either the vanity metrics of things, the just straight up vanity of publishing your own book a lot of the times with yourself on the cover and this and all that type of things. But I'm going to get down into like the actual kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff that would be kind of sketchy with it. And one is, you know, author claims in the bio. And the, we used to always say that whatever I did, you know, we took a lower fee for a big kind of client, we'd always say doing it for the bio, right? Doing it for the take the discounted gig with uh, Walmart or something there. And you're like, now I can add the logo to my profile. 
But here's an example of one I saw that I was so angry about that I called the person out on it. And I, w- I, won't, I won't name them on this because, you know, it's a classy show. And, uh, uh, classy it's not, but <laughs> I get it. We don't want lawyers involved. <laughs> Threatened to be sued six times, have yet to have been served papers for it. Right. But I also am trying to be a kinder, gentler, older Scott. And so I don't have to call the actual individual out. But the person was claiming that they were a Pulitzer Prize nominated author. Wait, wait. Is the nomination impressive? I think, you know, like I've been nominated for not that, but Mm. for things in my life. And you're either a winner or you're not. So I just want to interrupt and say that. Well, I think there's, but I think if, look, if I am uh, nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture and I'm one of five official nominees, there's something to that Oscar nominated, right? But here's the thing. There's a difference between the official nomination, here's the five films or here's the five people or here's the five books that are up for the Pulitzer Prize. Sure. Versus a nomination was sent in. Now, oh. fortunately, in, in your country right now, there's the talk about the Nobel Peace Prize and the nomination and what's real. Yeah. So this is this is the same idea. Yeah. So I saw somebody was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. How you get into it is you had to be nominated and the, and the publisher would put forward the books that they want nominated. You pay $50 or whatever the admission and they come out with a shortlist. It's the shortlist that's legit. So the five books, five nominees, one winner five nominees, one winner, or whatever the category size is. But this person said they were nominated for a Pulitzer. Now, I take great offense to certain things. And when you cross over that line, I go scorched earth on you. Absolutely. And one of those things for me is the Pulitzer. I don't have the same feeling about an Oscar or a Grammy or an Emmy. No, but a Pulitzer is more intellectual. It's like a feat of individual or group accomplishment where you are sharing ideas and stories, right? I mean, this is an important storytelling. Changing lives. You're exposing untruths and atrocities. This is like war journalists, war reporters, yes. and people yes. do long form and they spend 18 months on a story. And, and so the book the person was nominating was ridiculous. It was a self-published piece of crap. And so I wrote immediately to the person and I said, hey, what do you mean? Yeah. Nominated for Pulitzer. What's going on? And they're like, oh yeah, I was just, you know what? It was just an honor to be nominated. I'm like, stop. <laughs> Who nominated <laughs> okay. you? He's like, my publisher. And I'm like, you're self-published. So they're self-published. They were honored just to be nominated by their publisher, which is themselves. And I said, cool, you have two choices right now. And it's your choice. It's your bio. It's your site. It's your everything. But you either take it down because it's not true or this is my next topic. Wow. Your call. Oh, yeah. No, after thinking about it, I should probably shut up. (laughs) You're being dishonest. And why I really got angry at because then when it comes to when you book a speaker or you read a book, you're like, this is Pulitzer level. Yeah, that's right. And I had heard meeting planners had mentioned to a few people, they're like, I thought this person won a Pulitzer. Like getting booked based on it. I wouldn't mind losing a speaking gig to a true Pulitzer yes. winner, yes. right? But if somebody's disingenuous about it, you're right. The knives come out. I cannot. So you have that. So there's that padding of the bio, which we all do <laughs> one way or the other. I was in the Wall Street Journal. Sure, I was interviewed for an article there and it was 14 years ago. Does that make me any more relevant right now? No, Wait but a I was second. in it. CNN nominated me as one of the top career advisors ever back in 2010. You know, like you think I'm pulling that out of my bio? No way. I had a higher clout score than Obama nine years ago. <laughs> You think I didn't ride that for years? Oh, oh saddle man. up. I'm on that all day sure. long. For so sure. I, I get the understanding of the bio. And I understand, yeah. look, it's like 90% of people lie on their resume. And the other 10% are just straight up liars about lying. So I get it. And my HR background knows we always embellish those things. You're not actually proficient at Excel. You just have Excel. Like I understand those parts <laughs> of it. But the other sides get even more kind of seedy. And that's what kind of gets me. 
one of the problems in book publishing, as opposed to the music industry, and I got a lot of my business and entrepreneurs type of stuff from the music business in Toronto, but there's, there's a lot of similarities in it. But I was more interested in the when people took advantage of art. And that's where the similarities really crossed over for me and watching it and hating it and seeing what we could do with that was in music, you do have industry agreed upon thresholds of volume of sales. So you have the gold record, the platinum certification, the diamond certification, it's a million units sold. In America means platinum. In Canada, 100,000 units sold is platinum in Canada. So at least there's a frame of reference. Now, mind you, the music business is the leader of unethical practices when it comes to sales. And, and just, just Google payola and go from there if you want. That's a whole rabbit hole you'll never come out of. But what the thing is, that at least they have agreed upon unit of measurement for yeah, it. The book industry yeah. does not. And when I dug into that, a few of the things I'd, I'd found out was actually Billboard magazine owns the trademark to gold and platinum and diamond certification for sales units. So you couldn't do that anyways in publishing, in book publishing, but there's no agreed upon unit. So what is a bestseller? Good question. Is it something that shows up number one on Amazon? Is it something that's sold really well for two weeks and the New York Times measured it? Mm. And how did it sell, right? I mean, there are right. all these questions about how merch is moved. And every one of those categories that you just mentioned can be 100% taken advantage of. And there's from the the result source style thing of buying books. It's always the company that is the most famous for doing it, which is give me a quarter million dollars or so and we will get your book on those bestseller lists. And I know people who've done it and who have happily done it. And they're more of a... They have a firm or an agency and them having New York Times bestselling author will bring them more than a quarter million dollars in increase in fees and whatever. And that, look, then fine. They sleep at night just fine. I wouldn't. I've never done that. We've never done that with our books. Nor have I ever hit New York Times. And I'm okay with that. And I'm not saying all books on New York Times have gotten that, but that is one of the ways of people do it. And they just have a whole system of people that buy it from different stores and different places across the country in one week. And off you go and you hit it or you don't. Some people have also done it and have not hit it. And uh, that's a lot of money to spend to not have much except a bunch of books from people who don't want to read your book in the first place. So I get that where it's about... Because the problem is it's like a you're playing a game you don't know the rules to and the rules change every day. Like when we launched... Jackass Whisperer, which was the newest one we have, the sixth book, right before we launched, Amazon just said, okay, we are now just holding a fraction, a tenth of the books now in our warehouses. Like they just shut it down. Yeah. And yeah. all the distributors scrambled, all this and were like, great, here we go. And I had, you know, every single book was like they're at the distribution center and they never left or they never did this. And all I wanted to do was, look, I will sell the books. You just have to get them to them. And that was like the hardest part of that. But it, even when the bestseller, my favorite story about that one, which was a fairly famous one a few years ago, the guy took a picture of his foot, you know, and put it, took a picture of his foot, made it into a Kindle book, put it up and made it a bestseller. Oh, God. Right? And then he got a book deal. <laughs> because well, of it, because of, doing it. <laughs> because, of, because he classified it in a very low volume subsection of a subsection on Amazon, put it up, had a friend buy one, he bought one, boom, number one in the category, screenshot, boom, all it done. And all it was was a picture of his foot. And so we can get around those things. I've seen a more recent kind of move of people saying it's an Amazon bestseller. And that does warm my heart a bit. I do like that because it's a little more transparent. 
I feel. Yeah. And the Amazon world is just in time publishing. So when I talk to my publisher about how many books are going to be printed and how does this work? I mean, they really rely heavily on pre-orders from Amazon and kind of forecasting from Amazon to understand the whole book market because they feel that's a much better representation because so many others have tried to manipulate it by sending books to Paducah, Kentucky and Fargo and all these different cities to try to inflate the numbers. So in as much as Amazon could be on the right side of history, I think they're doing some good in this space. Pre-orders are a must for sure to get out of the sketch for a second of, of, of any advice I would give. It, it's pre-orders or bust if you want them stocked places. It's pre-order or bust campaigns where that's why. So book one, the deal was I sent out a tweet that June before the book came out in the fall in September. And this past September is the 10-year anniversary of that, of unmarketing being unleashed on the world and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Here we are. Yeah. I can't believe it's been a decade. Can I say that? Can I interrupt? Like, where did that time go? September 2010. That's when it came out. Yeah. So I put a tweet out that June. And this is the height of my Twitter supremacy. This is the height of my, like, the most influential Canadian on Twitter, one of the top five in North America, because some algorithm told me that. So I put it in my bio. And so it went out and I, I put a tweet and I said, who wants to stop on the Unbook Tour? You have to pre-order 100 books, fly me there and put me up. Okay. And 30 people, 30 cities did it. Half of them were American Marketing Association chapters or social media clubs. But the other half were 15 individuals who had never run an event in their life, but wanted to support. Amazing. So that was then you concentrated on the purchases all in a one week window. And then they put them up. So I put a bunch of pre-orders in, triggered a bunch of things in the system. But what I liked about it was all 100 books at each place was were given to people that bought a ticket, you know, to go to the event. And then I was giving a talk about on marketing. So that made me feel a little bit better about it. Second book, but I did 30 cities in 10 weeks. And people are like, Oh, you're just like a musician. And I'm like, No, musicians have a logical geographic route on their tours. And I just went to whatever city wanted me and that nearly killed me. But the goal, because for me, you have to understand what is the goal of the book? People say, should I do this? Should I do this? But it's like anything in business. What's the goal? What's the end result you want? And is it because people give different answers and they're like, well, I just want to be able to reach more people in the world. And a lot of times that's a bullshit answer. And it's more of like, I want more speaking gigs or I want to make money or I want to get better consulting gigs or I, or I want to be a writer. Whatever that is, you really want to figure out the end result and the end goal because they're different. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this because you talked about the goal and you also talked about permission to publish in the future. I think one of the things I realized with this being my first big girl book is that if I really want to be the writer, I think I'm meant to be, I've got to write my second book. And the only way to do that is to make sure this book sells. And so for me, like the whole purpose of this, yeah, to be of service, yeah, to fix work, all of that is true, but I can't do it once. If I just do it once, I haven't done anything. I've got to do it again and again and again. This is my mission in life. That was the goal with Unmarketing was having the trilogy, having the Unmarketing on brand. Like you're always writing the first bit of book for the next. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Chances are you've spent the past few months cooped up with your family, buried under a relentless news cycle, and with work that never seems to switch off. Millions of us worldwide are overworked, exhausted, and trying our hardest, yet not getting the recognition we deserve. It's time for a fix. That's why I wrote my new book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career. It's an essential guide for how to snap out of autopilot and become your own best advocate with candid and new stories and easy-to-adopt steps. I wrote this book for you. I believe in you, and I would be honored if you would pre-order it today. Head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash books. That's laurierudeman.com forward slash books and pre-order your copy today. 
So I love this idea that you did with the tour and I was trying to emulate this. I mean, this is something that's really inspirational until, I mean, we're way off sketch, but talk about sketch. This fucking COVID thing is driving me crazy because we could be so much further along if we believed in masks and social distancing, especially here in America. You've got your, you know, North Atlantic bubble thing that you've been cultivating up north. We don't have anything. We've just got rising COVID cases. So I can't go anywhere which is why the sketch is so tempting, right? The allure so of tempting. it. So tempting. I can't. Oh. I've just had a bunch of friends have books come out in the past month or so. And it's just been so hard because what happens is right now with COVID, and I appreciate the shout out to Canada, but we need to be very hesitant about getting on our high moose and judging America when it comes to our COVID response, because we have also have many, many morons here. We just had an anti-mask rally a couple of days ago in Toronto. And I'm just like, yeah, I can't. Oh, that's going to pay off in 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, yeah right. Darwinism just, right there. Oof, amazing. So we do have humans here. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's going to happen. So the problem with when it comes to COVID or a kind of quarantine or that everything is virtual, it flattens the value curve a lot. So one of the big things about an event that the tour, I was the unbooked tour, the, the first one, and we did one for the second book, but that was 200 books you had to pre-order because you know, I wasn't doing that same thing again. No, but it was the sure. same idea was everything was about the event. And it was the talk was the value. They're going to learn something because I wanted to give value at each talk. But also you wanted more value in the book that's in your hands you're going to walk out with. Because I didn't want the book to go out. I didn't want to hit those sales. What I wanted to do was hit those sales and then people read them, loved it and shared it with their friends. So it would then get exponential sales, but it would create change. Luckily, the platform, the influence, and the tour made that happen because the book still sells. The hardcover is still being sold, used 10 years later. I hate that fact because there's been the hardcover, the paperback, and the second edition. And every time somebody tweets, somebody does it yesterday, they tweet, they're like, oh, I just reread the book. It's still relevant today. And I'm like, awesome. Which version? <laughs> right. The one I get paid for or the one on the black market or the yeah, secondary the hardcover, market? Oh, the one you bought off of Craigslist for $2? Yeah. Um, awesome. I love it. But it's been greatly revamped. And so what we did, I don't even want to reply to them and say, there's a new version if you should go get it. So I'm so averse to doing that, that every time somebody tweets it and they have an old version, I just said, let us send you the new one. And we literally oh, order them a new copy. I just, amazing. I don't, because I don't want to say you spent your money, you read it, haha, buy a whole new one. And since there's no way for us to upgrade them when it comes to the way it is, we just send them a new copy. But like I have dealt with, I have a hundred stories of the sketch of the used market where not the sketch of the used market or, or that type of, I'm totally for that. But when it comes to how we've been dealt with, like I had one where since events would buy them and as we got, my platform got bigger and bigger, I no longer did the book tour exchanging for book sales, but they would buy books on top of my fee for conferences, which is the ultimate thing. I had one where I did, it was uh, like 3,000 people at, I won't name the brand, but it was IBM. And I was at their side event and they know I love them. So it was 3,000 people. It was their side event. That's how crazy big these things are. But the first 600 people in the door got a copy of Unselling when it came out. And then Unselling is a blank cover book. It's just a white cover with just a little stamp on selling in the bottom corner because it's Unselling. And so the nice thing about that is I can sign those real quick. One of the reasons why you do a blank cover or something is I sign the cover with a Sharpie. And so they line them up on all these really long buffet tables. And I just 20 minutes and I signed 600 bucks. I just went all the way down the row and they collected them. So first 600 people in got it. And I'm the keynote for that day. People came in rushed and everybody got a book. So I'm getting ready to do it. They're doing their little opening and I'm at the back of the venue, giant thing at the MGM Grand in Vegas. And I'm about to throw my Starbucks out. I look in the garbage can. There's just one of the copies I'm unselling just sitting straight up in the garbage can. So I grab it out of the garbage can. Little do I know, my client is about 50 feet away, noticing their keynote speaker. 
rifling through the garbage can right before he's about to speak. And then I went on stage and I walked up on stage. And I'm like, hey, I hope the 599 of you are enjoying your copies of the book. The one who did not, where <laughs> I found this in the garbage, I apologize. It was so bad. There was so little on the cover that you were so disgusted you threw it in the garbage 10 feet away from the table they were giving oh. away. So I said, who didn't get one and wants one? And somebody ran up to the stage and I gave them the book. But I've had stuff where I've signed them. So one of the things, the big benefits, what I used to do was like a sponsor at a trade show would sponsor my keynote. And then I'd Pied Piper people back to their booth and then sign books for as long as it took. And they loved it. It brought value to their booth. And I would personalize it. And my goal, I would always, every book signing was look the person in the eye, find out their name, and genuinely look at them and say hi and sign the book and take the picture, do whatever you have to do within the constraints you have for the event. And I would personally, and, and hey, Dave, you know, and I'd always have an unword, you know, be unreal or unstoppable. And I'd do those type of things. And then somebody tweeted, this is two years ago, somebody sent a tweet and said, I'm so excited I got a used copy of Unmarketing, but I don't think Dave was excited. And inside the book, she bought it off Amazon for $4, I think it was. It said, Dear Dave, thank you for support. Be unreal, Scott. So the person must have pawned it off to Amazon for a dollar, the personalized book. And I'm like, that cut me a little deep. Not as deep as the Craigslist or up here, a Kijiji version, which is like unmarketing, unopened, you know, signed or whatever like that. I'm just like, oh, it cuts me deep. It cuts me deep. <laughs> what people will do for a dollar, man, you know, and all the work that goes into actually making that book, the trees that get cut down, the people who hate their jobs in shipping and logistics who get that book out into the marketplace, right? Or the people that spend 20 or 30 bucks and then think they could have the justification to ruin your life's work. And I, the first review for Unmarketing, the first book, the first one we ever put out, the first review ever on Amazon to this young man in Canada who's very nervous about this, the first review, the day before it comes out, was one star. And the person said, and I quote, I have yet to read this book, but I disagree to the principle." I wish people could see my face right now and yours. You know, I have my first review on NetGalley, which is a format for book critics and book influencers to talk about your book in PDF form, right? So they've sent it out and a bunch of people raised their hand and said, I would love an advanced copy of Betting on You. And so someone wrote my very first review ever, three stars, really well written. Unfortunately, not for me. If it's not for you, why are you making the effort? <laughs> like, put the fucking book down. <laughs> you know, I'm not here for you. I'm here for people who this book is for. I got to let this go, Scott. I got to let it go. I, I just told you it's a 10-year anniversary, right? Last month of unmarketing. I have not let that one-star review go yet. You don't understand this, right? So if you're guessing how long it'll take you to shake it, 10 years and still going strong. Oh, man. The first piece of feedback I got on the cover of Unmarketing. Now, I have to understand with Unmarketing. So Unmarketing and me and the intertwining of our DNA. like That's, That's a child for you. Yeah. Unmarketing, I came up with 20 years ago. I came up with because I was fed up with what was going on out there. But I thought of the Unmarketing. And one of the main reasons I picked it was I thought it would look great on a book. I'm always about hooks. And I pictured an unmarketing stamped on the brown paper bag cover. And then that turns out is what it ended up eventually being 10 years later when I got the book deal. So I'm so happy, so proud, but also so vulnerable. And I put on Facebook the proposed cover. And I was so happy because it's exactly how I pictured it. I'm like, here it is. Here's the cover. Didn't say, what do you think? Didn't say, give me suggestions. And the first comment was, because it's a big un, red un stamped on there, marketing underneath it, but the big stamp version of un. The person's like, why would you write a book about United Nations marketing? <laughs> 
Oh, Scott, you never tell people the proposed baby names. That's what I've oh, learned. You never God. tell people what you're going to name your children. It wasn't even proposed. It was it was the final version. I didn't. So meaning no feedback solicitation happening. Wow. I, I, one of the funny things is too, I love when people put out book cover and I've done this many times myself for our books, but I'm like, let's put out a cover to a general handpicked selection of friends who we can't tolerate during half the time anyways to give their feedback because really we actually like one of their covers ourselves. And we want to have an artificial vanity feedback for the one we want want anyways. Like I put up for QR Codes Kill Kittens, which is our business picture book of screw-ups. I put up like four covers and I'm like, I don't care what you say. Well, I already have the one picked. <laughs> I want to see if you can confirm my actual assumption or not. And they picked another one. I'm like, screw you. I, got, <laughs> I, I know better. You know, it's funny that you're talking about covers because my book went through a title change. And so with that came like a rethinking of the rebrand. And the target market is like women. I think it covers men too, but they really see this book as a book for women who fucking hate work, right? And so they gave me a bunch of covers that look like tampon boxes, <laughs> like really weird feminine stuff. And also these amorphous shapes. And so I got this cover finally to the place where I think it's okay. And I put it out there and people are either, oh, I love it. It looks like sea glass or this is terrible. Nobody's going to buy this book. I'm like, who asked you for your fucking feedback? You know, I you. cannot get over. You never give feedback unless you want to change somebody's life. How are you going to change my life with this feedback? But even feedback, just in general, it's such a wider topic. I always say unsolicited feedback is worth what you pay for it. And also one of my favorite book titles uh, when I was a young business a striving person where there was these little tip kind of books by a gentleman named James A. Moran. And it was such... They're so great. Now, they're pretty much a the listicle now of all these tips, but they're all just tips. And the best tip, which has ended up being one of the titles of one of the books, but it's also a tip, was beware of those who ask for feedback. They're usually looking for praise. And that's such a great piece of advice. I have never forgotten that line. And it served me very well and didn't serve me well when I forgot it back You know, all the time is, is look, unless they're asking... And also, I'm always very clear when somebody sends something, I now say, hey, did you want like just encouragement or did you want feedback? Because I can go look at this in a feedback type of way because I know the other end of it, which was putting up the book cover. I don't want feedback. I just want you clapping. I just want you congratulations. I want the high fives. I don't want your feedback on what you would have done differently because I used to get people would send me their speaker demo, their speaker trailer video or something. And you know what? I'm happy to look at them. I'm happy to people right now. They're like, would you help me out with my virtual setup? And like I said before, if it's a friend of mine, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to help and give you what I've learned. But I've done that. And I had people do that in speaking. And I said, somebody would help. And they're like, can I give me some feedback? And I'm like, sure, I'll get to give you honest feedback. And I gave it. And they posted in the same group later on. They're like, can I get somebody to give me feedback that won't take the wind out of my sails? And I'm like, oh, no. If you need a hype man or something like that, fine. No worries. That's different. Absolutely. Yeah, that's totally different. But if you want my analysis of something, then I will give that. But I'll give it to you straight. And that's the problem with the book. You have to be prepared for that. It's such a thing where it's just you have to put on a suit of armor with it. And I was so focused on those things, the feedback and then the metrics that it what drove me batty to the point where the last two books, I never looked at a number. I never looked at a download figure, a sales figure. It was so hard. That took me six books to get to that <laughs> point, Lori, though. That's the thing. All right, like, man. I'm there. I'm there. I, you know, I can look at my book scan right now and I'm not. Like, I don't want to know my pre-orders. I don't want to know anything at this point. But you're right about that suit of armor. I asked my sister for feedback on the book and she said, I can't wait until you write your next one. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay. So at this point, I'm pretty much never asking for feedback from anybody ever again. You either like the book, you don't. You find it helpful, you don't. I'm on to the next one. Like that's my focus. And I wonder, I mean, you've shared a lot of stuff that I think will surprise me, could surprise me, but could you share one thing about this book publishing process that just surprised the hell out of you? It's not a cop out, but it goes back to what I was originally saying was how actually hard it is to sell one book. 
and how hard it is to convince people to buy it and how much ownership people think they have once they do buy it, where I was in a line at the airport bookstore, if you remember those, but also the amount of payola in the industry itself too, like the airport book, the Hudson News. Yeah. Most do, of the books do you want to talk about that? Because there yeah, yeah, is yeah, a, let's go there. There's yeah, an let's, economy let's, of that airport book. Let's store. go there. And we have the invoices to prove it. So to place your book in uh, Hudson News, let's say, so that's, you know, being the, the most popular bookstore in airports. And we have them here in, in Canada too, but they're run by you know, different companies, but the same idea, Hudson News type of thing. And most of the book sales you see in all major airports are either a subsidiary of Hudson News there. So for us, to place our book. So we've done it both with Unmarketing when the newest edition came out in 2000, I think it was 18. We also did it with Jackass Whisperer, which we did the hybrid publishing for. So the pricing was roughly around, we paid about $10,000 US to put our paperback in the store for, it was two months and you got the third one free. Once they got wise to it, they started upping that a bit. They no oh, longer, yeah, it's free so it was $4,000 yeah. a month so we start, we so we paid 10 grand for the paperback of unmarketing, but we paid 12 for Jackass Whisper because it was no longer a free month in there. Now, mind you, there are books in Hudson that aren't paid for placement, and those are the big sellers. Those are the huge ones. Those are the ones that Pladwell's in there or Godin's stuff in there, or the ones that are just, you know, the subtle art of not giving up. I don't, I'm not sure what exactly words you you can Manson, my buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know what I mean? Like Mark Mark ain't showing out five figures a month to place the book. They're paying him, you know, type of stuff to, to put but that out Rudiman, there. But Rudiman, they want to check from Rudiman. And I'm they like, want to check from Rudiman and they, they want to check from Stratton. But here's the thing. Again, it's about goals. So by the way, that's the lowest fee possible because it's paperback hardcover. <laughs> you know, look out, right? Hardcover. And I don't know what you were quoted with it, but it was double, if not more for it. You're talking 10 grand a month for those type of things. But with a six month commitment, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you got to commit oh, yeah. six. You got to do this because of course, because they can, it's anything, right? It's leverage. It's the buyer's or seller's market when it comes to books. And when it came to now, but now, of course, <laughs> I don't know the price right. <laughs> six bucks maybe. And a pretzel dog from Cinnabon. I don't like, I don't know what you're doing now because Please. it's your leverage is different. But for us, especially with unmarketing, because unmarketing, and here's the thing, I it was originally written for entrepreneurs. I wrote it because I'm one myself and it was, look, you have the ability to steer the boat a different way to do it. You're very more flexible. We weren't prepared that it actually resonated with corporate because I ripped the crap out of corporate in the book, but it really resonated with the individuals in there. And if you're speaking to individuals, you are speaking to brands, but it's the aversion to risk that is an issue on when it comes to corporate or brand side of stuff. So on marketing itself was we wanted to get to where business people were buying books. And that's that's Hudson. That's the airport bookstores, because that's where the impulse buy happens. And it was on marketing is a very kind of impulse kind of the cover stands out. And in a sea of books, you want that same as Jackass Whisper. It's bright orange, and it has a donkey on it. It stands oh, yeah, out. I've got my sticker. I love my... Yeah, right, my swag got, <laughs> is awesome from that book. It stands out that way. And with unmarketing, it was different. So unmarketing was traditional publishing. So we had that kind of that 85-15, the 89-11 split where the, the publisher kept 90% of the royalties. So we pitched to Wiley that we would split it, the placement fee. So we split it with Wiley. So we paid half. They paid, so we were five grand each. Well, we sold over a thousand copies through the channel. And that's great. It looks great. And for us, the royalty revenue was getting into the hands of people saying, bring Scott in and speak to our event. And with Jackass Whisperer, it was we, we made 90% of the royalty for it. So it was even easier. We wouldn't have to sell that many books to make back the cost anyways. And so both times we did it, we extended the unmarketing one 
double what it was because it was going so well and we were moving the copy. So it made sense because we had the data to show it. But also there was vanity to it. I was in airports all the time and I love seeing the book. How wonderful for the ego is I'm going to pop into in Newark Airport, pop in to sign some of our books and put a sticker on it. Dude, that's the only good thing about going to Newark Airport, right? (laughs) Like that's my dream (laughs) to end up in the St. Louis Airport and see my book there and be like, yeah, okay, I'm here for a reason. But that never goes away. That is still... So cool. I've never gotten over that. We've sold collectively, I think over 100,000 copies of all the books. Like, so we're not in the millions, we're not in the tens, but we're in a good number. And so when we see it, spotting it in the wild or spotting on like a store bookshelf, and I don't care what we do with e-commerce going forward, walking into a bookstore and seeing your book on this. Look, my mom was impressed. You know, we were still happy. I still get giddy seeing it. And we're also so lucky that the books are still on those shelves. Like that's so rare to happen that we're so fortunate that we can still get on marketing in a bookstore. We can still go and get those things and signing those that never gets old. And I had a friend of mine who's like, oh, I got to sign a bunch of books. Like it was a chore and I wanted to smack the crap out of it. Man, that guy doesn't deserve it. No. And like last week, somebody tweeted a picture that they were in Istanbul reading the Turkish version of Unmarketing and they're sitting on the shore of the Bosphorus River, you know, the most famous river there is. And, and I'm just like, how damn cool is that? That's so cool. And I just you never don't. So don't for you for advice, you personally, everybody can stop listening if they want. But for you personally, when this book goes out into the ether and goes out there and anytime a tweet comes, you got to stop for one second and go, how cool is it that somebody is reading your words in a book form? That's so cool. And like, I just did a Skype into a class a couple of days ago where it was the textbook. You're like, First of all, one, they never checked my transcript because that wouldn't be in any higher education institution. But two, how great out of the tens of trillions of books, whatever, it gets published every year that that was the one. And that's it. So you write for the individual, hope the masses will like it eventually. And that part never gets old. So the problems never end with books and reviews and the shadiness. But the joy also never ends if people buy it and love it and read it. And that's what we've been fortunate enough to have. Well, that's a really great way to wrap up the conversation. Scott, thank you for, you know, being my hype man. Thank you for having my back all these years and being so encouraging and really a good role model for how not to do this terribly. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the next course I'll do. Book launches terribly. Learn from the carnage. There you go. I love it. Well, thanks again. And listen, people know who you are, but we're going to have all your shit in our show notes. So everybody listening, Scott is not that hard to find. And we'll include all that in the show notes. Thanks again, Scott. Anytime. Honestly, anytime. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Scott Stratton. God, I love that guy. He is not only just a terrific mentor, but someone that I can make chit chat with for hours. And I hope you go into the show notes and look him up, read on marketing if you haven't read it. I love his book, The Jackass Whisperer. It was one of the funnier books that I read in 2019. So give that one a whirl if you're looking for a place to get started in the Scott Stratton Library. As always, the show notes are located on my website at laurierudeman.com forward slash punkrockhr-133. Finally, it's an honor to come and talk to you once a week, every week, in all sorts of conditions, including a pandemic, an epidemic, and a recession. I don't take that for granted, and I absolutely appreciate you being part of this community. So until next week, we'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.